I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the Splendid Tables sister podcast, The One Recipe, here with a summer celebration special from APM. Party season is in high gear. Now, I have never shied away from an excuse to throw a little party, and there's no better season for that than summer. Whether we're grilling brats in the backyard or finding an excuse to have a little picnic out in the park, getting together outside with friends and family just feels right. Today, we're checking in with some amazing guests who feel exactly the same way. We're covering the bases with Esteban Castillo, author of Chicano Eats. He tells us about his family's grilling tradition of carne asadas. And then... Because we all deserve a break from the kitchen and still get to party, we turn to Houston's newest food columnist, Bao Ong. He's got a ton of recommendations for great dishes that you can take out from restaurants for your next hangout in the park. And finally, we spend some time on the patio with Houston chef and restaurant owner, Chris Williams. He talks about the food and family tradition that inspires his restaurant, the Houston classic, Lucille's. So grab a drink, slather on some sunscreen, and stick around. So let's get started, where a lot of parties start with the drinks. We've all had that moment. You're at a cookout, having a good time. It's hot, you're thirsty, so you walk on over to the coolers and start looking around. And everything in there is a little bit boozier than you really need, with the kids running around and the heat starting to build. Sound familiar? Well, we want you to meet a woman who has taken on that problem headfirst. Natasha David is a bar consultant and author of a wonderful book, Drink Lightly. It celebrates low and non-alcoholic cocktails and drinks to keep you in a perfectly balanced buzz all afternoon at that summer party. Grab a glass because here she is. (laughs) Natasha, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Summer is here. I'm out cooking. I'm wearing I'm wearing the, <laughs> the denim dad shorts. I'm, That's right. I'm in full swing. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. It's a beautiful day. I had a barbecue at my house last night. I am feeling the season. Oh my gosh. I love that so much already. I know that you have so many stories of incredible summer celebrations, so many outdoor cooking festivities, so I want to get into all of it. But right off the bat, do you have a favorite summer gathering or festivity? You know, honestly, I'm going to say this. My favorite gathering in the summer is my birthday. (laughs) Yes! It is at the end of June. It's like that perfect time of summer where you really finally feel like you are in it. You know, like it's the weather is consistently gorgeous. It's not too hot. Um, the evenings are still warm. And it's like the one time of the year where I kind of indulge and, and invite tons of people over and cook for them. I, it's one of my favorite days. Where have you been cooking? Where do you typically invite people over to? I live in upstate New York in a little town called Red Hook. And we have a very nice house with a huge backyard where we grow lots of vegetables. And we have, as I am very proud to share, because I've really embraced my upstate livelihood up here. So we have chickens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I'll just sort of make a big spread. I grill. I make all kinds of different salads and um, sort of like a few traditional 
all family recipes that have sort of been passed down to me. Um, and just have people over. We drink wine. We drink punch. All of our kids are here. Everyone's running around naked in the sprinklers. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like the perfect birthday. Very different from my birthdays before kids, but has turned into <laughs> sort of this wonderful new tradition we have. This is a Hallmark ad in the making. <laughs> but I'm also curious about some of the family gatherings that you had when you were little and growing up. Weren't yeah. you raised in California and internationally? I was born and raised in Europe, but my my grandmother on my mother's side um, lived in Berkeley, California. So we always spent, we had a six-week summer vacation, um, and we would come and spend those six weeks in California. Um, and they were sort of like the most perfect things that we looked forward to. You had all this food that you couldn't get in Europe. I mean, I even remember something silly like peanut butter didn't exist yet in Europe when I was growing up there. But I, you know, I grew up in a family that loved to host um, and always kind of was the gathering place, the gathering house. So my mother always was throwing dinner parties growing up. And that kind of stemmed from her upbringing, which was being the the daughter of a of a Buddhist priest, um, eighteen generations of Buddhist priests in her family, so their house was always where everyone came. Um, and so, whenever we would go to California, the first thing that would always happen was my grandmother would throw this big sort of not party, but like a spread. You know, there was a spread, right? Uh, and everyone that we knew, all of our family would come, and it was this beautiful combination of you know, traditional Japanese foods. So lots of sushi. And one of my favorite things that I always still make at my barbecues whenever I have a gathering is cold chicken teriyaki, um, which somehow just like tastes so much better on the grill. Um, and it's so good cold. So it can just kind of like sit out and you can munch on it all day. And it's super kid friendly too. Um, oh and then we also had like, you know, like there was this particular potato salad that my family made that was very American with mayonnaise and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but these funny little things that get passed down and those are still foods I make now and foods that I crave. And I have such good memories of, of those gatherings just with family eating delicious food. That's amazing. So tell me more about these 18 generations of Buddhist priests. <laughs> what? You, that, that's incredible. <laughs> it is incredible. And like I, I often, you know, it's just, I, I think sometimes you take it for granted because it's just, you know, like that's how I grew up. Um, and I wouldn't say that my mother necessarily raised my sister and I as Buddhist, but just because she is so Buddhist, those sort of ideas and traditions and, you know, just way of looking at the world has obviously been passed on to us. So, um, yeah, it's kind of I like would... learning through osmosis, even exactly. if it's not yeah. obviously being yeah. put on you. <laughs> I really, really appreciate that perspective. I also <laughs> want to switch the conversation a little bit to talking about what you are a scholar of all things beverages, right? Can you tell me a little bit about the book you just wrote? <laughs> yeah, I wrote a book. Thank you for mentioning it. It's called Drink Lightly. Um, it is, I mean, it's obviously a collection of recipes and, and recipes that I'm super proud of, but it really is also just kind of like a love letter to my community. Um, and the idea of, you know, I, I wrote this sort of at the height of COVID while I was in quarantine <laughs> with my yeah. kids and my <laughs> husband and my mom, who actually lives with us too. Um, mm -hmm. And 
right after I'd closed my bar because of COVID, because of the shutdown. Um, and it became this light in my life, really, that kind of got me out of the darkness and like tragedy and sadness of losing my bar. Um, and it became this really sort of beautiful rebirth and sort of story of appreciation for what we do, which is bringing people together, right? Which I love. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, and it's great that you were able to turn all that grief into something that captures the sentiment that you wanted people to walk away from your yeah. bar with, too. Oh, yeah, thank so you. So when you say drink lightly, what does that kind of mean for you? And who was the community that you were writing this book for? Absolutely. So Drink Lightly is all, it's a collection of low ABV and actually a few no ABV cocktails. Um, and I've always... Well, I was that like boring kid in college who didn't like getting drunk. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not boring. Just you just that, knew what worked for you and what I, didn't. Exactly. I knew what worked for me. And I, you know, always loved just drinking like white wine spritzes and um <laughs> which is also just like a drink that was always drunk by my mother. So it was something that I always saw and is very nostalgic for me. Um and you know, growing up in Europe, there's a little bit I, I kind of always hate phrasing it like that because it sounds kind of like I'm being elitist or something, but there is this beautiful <laughs> thing in Europe, which is their drinking culture. Um, and it is this very romantic and like every, all those stereotypes of like at five o'clock, the piazza's filled with people and everyone's drinking <laughs> April spritzes thing. Like it's actually really, really true. And there is this beautiful like idea of at the end of the workday, we all come together and we drink something that isn't going to make us totally drunk, but kind of like take the edge off a little bit. Right. So that's really what I love about low ABV drinking. And so I, you know, at my bar, um, when it was open, I did have a whole section dedicated to low ABV drinks just because it's like something I've like, it's like this gospel I've been wanting to spread because I just think it's so <laughs> great. And so that's really what this book is. It's like a collection of recipes using low ABV ingredients um, and kind of like showing them in a new way to to let you see that you can have a lot of fun with them. We're talking to Natasha David, author of Drink Lightly. We'll be back with more from her in a bit. And then we head to a family carne asada with Esteban Castillo of Chicano Eats. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is the One Recipe Summer Celebration from APM. I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the Splendid Tables sister podcast, The One Recipe, here with a summer celebration special from APM. Today, we're all about summer cookouts and hangouts with great friends and incredible food. And we're starting with the drinks. We're mid-conversation with Natasha David, the author of Drink Lightly. Here she is. So it sounds like you're the perfect person to be talking to about what we should be drinking at our summer parties. What are some things that you think about when you're stocking your pantry to even before you've even started having the party or planning it? Totally. You know, I am a firm believer in kind of like use what you have. And I think it, it it's a great way to use low ABV spirits. Um, Maybe I'm unusual in this, but like I always have a bottle of vermouth in my fridge. So like, I think that's a great thing to have around. Um, a bottle of Lillet to have that just like in the fridge. Not only can you drink it neat in a spritz, you can cook with it, you know, like you can do so many things with it. I always love to have a little bit of sherry in my fridge. Um, and then you can kind of like from there 
build it up. Like I call it my like kitchen sink spritz approach, which <laughs> like you can just build it in a glass or you can make a big picture of it. But you just like take whatever, you know, you got a bottle of rosé lying in your fridge, finish it off, add, uh, you know, maybe you've got some strawberry jam, put in a spoonful of some kind of fruit. If you have a fruit liqueur, do a fruit liqueur. And then I don't know, some kind of bubble. I'm sure you've got some seltzer, you've got tonic, maybe you have some sparkling wine. You know, that kind of combination you can't really go wrong with. Find that lemon that's in the back of your fridge, slice it up and throw it in. And you've literally got yourself a delicious low ABV, easy peasy cocktail. Already, I'm just like, where's my pen? Where's my paper? Let me write all this down. Let me let me make sure I don't miss the recipe. <laughs> so maybe for a total beginner, what are maybe three or four bottles that you would recommend they pick up so that they can do this kind of versatile approach that you're recommending? Totally. Um, I would say some kind of bottle of vermouth, for sure, whether it's a dry vermouth, a blanc vermouth, or a sweet vermouth. Um, again, any kind of like uh, like aromatized wine. Um, I love Lillet. Um, I love Koki. Those are really, really wonderful. They're slightly bitter, which is great. Um, so you don't have this like cloyingly sweet cocktail. For sherries, again, I go on the drier side. Like I love mm -hmm. having a bottle of Fino sherry or a bottle of Manzanilla sherry lying around. Um, and then honestly, any kind of fruit liqueur, because you can always just add like a tiny little like teaspoon or, you know, a little bit into anything and make it taste good. Like something that I like to do to just like jazz up a glass of white wine if I feel like it is, you know, like a lovely glass of Gruner, put like a teaspoon of peach liqueur in there and suddenly you have a cocktail and it was so easy and delicious. Oh my um, God, that's so ingenious too. <laughs> and really quickly, can you explain what aromatized wine is? Yeah, absolutely. So they are essentially wines um, that have been fortified with a little bit of booze. Um, and then they're essentially inf infused with different spices and barks and all kinds of different citrus peels. Think of them as like flavored wine. And another thing that kind of came up as you were listing all of these really exciting bottles to try is that you know, for people at home who may be a little bit nervous mm -hmm. buying these bottles, they think mm -hmm. it's only going to be used for one drink or mm -hmm. one occasion. What are some pieces of advice that you would want to remind them of? I would say don't be intimidated because, you know, there are so many things that that are out there that you probably haven't tried, but like you've probably had something that's kind of similar. You know what I mean? Like if you like a whiskey sour, I feel like you'll probably really like some kind of sour variation with sweet vermouth because it has depth and it's it's full body, just like a whiskey. It's just like dressing up in, in different ways, you know? That actually <laughs> really opens up the gateway for us to talk about some of your favorite batched cocktails. Yeah. So we have the bottles. What is one of your favorite ways to use them? One of my favorite drinks um, that's in the book, it's called No Bad Days. It's a punch. Um, and another reason I really like this drink is just because like, if I'm having a summer gathering, I want everything to be really easy. You know what I mean? So the idea here is really just taking bottles of things and dumping them into a bowl. <laughs> um, so Speaking it's, to my soul. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> it's a bottle of sparkling wine, just like a nice, dry, sparkling wine, whatever you want to pick up at the liquor store. Um, a bottle of Blanc Vermouth, which if you want to get fancy, I've infused with a little bit of Thai basil, but like you are so more than welcome to skip that step if that's too much for you, even though it's a very simple infusion. Um, okay. And then another bottle of just Manzanilla Sherry. 
Um, Manzanilla sherry is a very dry sherry. It's also got a lot of salinity, which pairs really well with the last ingredient, which is just some fresh uh, watermelon juice, which like out of juices, like is the easiest thing to do, right? You just put it in a blender and it juices itself and in two seconds and you pour it in your bowl. Um, so it just comes right. together really, really easy. It looks impressive. It has, you know, all these ingredients that may sound kind of different and, you know, exciting right. to people, but like you've put in minimal effort and it's also hot out and you're hydrating your friends with, with all the watermelon juice. <laughs> it's great to have something that's both fun, yeah. but also is so balanced, is thoughtful without being a lot of work. So since you've mentioned your kids, do you have any back pocket batchable recipes that you use that both kids and adults can drink that totally. doesn't necessarily feel like juice? Totally, totally, totally. <laughs> um, I have a drink that I love to make both for adults and uh, for kids. Um, it sounds a little fancy for kids, but if you know the heart of the drink, the heart of the drink is that it's supposed to kind of be like a Shirley Temple. Um, I, <laughs> I grew up in like a household where soda was a no, no, no. I was never really allowed to drink soda, except again, when I went to go visit my grandmother in California, <laughs> we got to have like one or two sodas on our trip. And the thing that I would always get when we went to this Chinese restaurant called the Golden Dragon, um, in Oakland, it was incredible. I don't know if it's still there. I hope it is, um, is I would get a Shirley Temple. So I came up with a drink. It's called Adult Supervision. Um, again, sounds a little fancy. It's got some verjus, some white verjus, a little bit of homemade raspberry syrup, and just some bubbly water. And you can build it as an individual drink. You can build a pitcher of it. It's pretty and pink. It's bubbly, but like it's not too sweet, but it's fruity enough for kids. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So can you talk me through what verjus is? Verjus is is green grape juice and fermented green grape juice. So it has this really lovely um, acidity and you don't have to like juice lemons. And it's just like, again, a really versatile agreement. You can use it in alcoholic cocktails. You can use it in non-alcoholic cocktails. I'm known to like, if I'm drinking a martini and I just want to like amp it up a bit, I put a little bit of verjus, just kind of brighten it up. But it works so well in non-alcoholic drinks. And even though it sounds kind of fancy, kids mm -hmm. love it. I haven't had a kid turn this drink down before. <laughs> and was it hard trying to nail the balance of something that would please both your kids, but also your friends? You know, I think for this drink in particular, I was so, I knew exactly what I wanted it to taste like that I think I, it, it actually, I hate to, yeah, it actually was not that hard, this one, <laughs> because I just like knew, ex I knew what I wanted it to be and I wanted to feel nostalgic, but not, you know, like cloyingly sweet, like that. Maraschino cherry syrup that's usually in a Shirley Temple. Oh, trust me. As someone who has literally made himself sick from drinking oh too many God. Shirley Temples yeah. as a kid, yeah. uh, this sounds right up my alley. <laughs> Natasha, thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing all of your advice with us. This has been so fun. Natasha David is the author of Drink Lightly, a lighter take on serious cocktails with 100 plus recipes for low and no alcohol drinks. She left us with some great drink ideas, including her recipe for No Bad Days Punch and her adult supervision. You can find them at theonerecipe.org and on Instagram at the.one.recipe. I 
love the crackle and sizzle of meat hitting a ripping hot grill and the smell of barbecue smoke wafting through the air. And Esteban Castillo knows that sight and smell well. Esteban is the author of Chicano Eats. He's been bringing gorgeous Michelada marinated ribs to his family's carne asadas for years. You see, in his family, carne asadas are backyard and park cookouts filled with family and fun. And they're just like barbecues, where what's on the table may change, but the name always stays the same. And the food is always delicious. But I'll let him tell you the rest. Hey, Esteban, it's great to have you. Hey, Jesse, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about parties. <laughs> hey, I'm excited because I need to know how you throw down. Before we get to the parties, can you give me a little bit of a backstory? Where did you grow up and how did you come to cooking? I grew up in Southern California in Orange County um, in a city called Santana. Um, it's predominantly Hispanic. And so that was that was really the extent of my cultural palette at the time. And it wasn't until I went out to the university, you know, I I found myself in a predominantly white town. And so I didn't have access to the things that I was so familiar with. And so I had to basically get in the kitchen and just put my hands to work. I would call my mom, ask her for recipes every now and then, and she would just say, Echale tantito de esto, tantito del otro, which is a very common thing in my culture for our parents to just be like, add a little bit of this, add a little bit of that, your ancestors will guide you. But <laughs> it really just left me with so many more questions than I had started with. And so I just got into the kitchen and I realized that I had absorbed a lot of knowledge as a kid because growing up, uh, both of my parents were undocumented. And so... Whenever they had the chance, they would send me off to Mexico to be able to enjoy what they couldn't. And so my time there was really spent with my grandparents. Um, and on my mom's side, my grandparents have always cooked uh, for a living. And so mi abuelito had a little taco cart um, where he would set up outside of like the, the little town square at night and sell tacos. And on the weekends, mi abuelita, my grandma would take fresh milk and she would make cheeses out of that, that she would walk around and sell throughout the town. So food has always played a really big part, um, an integral part in my family. Can you tell me a little bit more about what kinds of traditions your grandparents started that they passed on to you? I would say that for them, it's about being able to feed people's soul. There's just always this like religious experience Whenever I'm back visiting, um, because my grandma still to this day um, opens up her backyard and turns it into like this makeshift restaurant during the weekends. And so I just every time I go and I sit and I watch her cook and feed the people from her community, I'm just so amazed by how... Uh, how special it all is. It's more than just making a plate of food. It's really, it's almost like she is creating an invitation into our family, into um, our our customs. And like, I remember the first time that I took my husband, um, I wasn't out to them. And so they met him as a friend and they just welcomed him with open arms. And it was really special to see the love that was going into the plate of sopitos that she was crafting for him. And uh, it's just, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. 
<laughs> which never happens. <laughs> um, the way that they navigate around food is something that I have also absorbed because I love being able to um, to feed people and really use food as an invitation to share a story, uh, whether it's behind the dish or behind an ingredient. I remember when I was in college, all of my friends were white because that those were the only people that I knew through my then boyfriend. And so for me, getting to cook was, again, an invitation to be able to share a little bit about my culture in a place where I felt so out of place. <laughs> and right. so I've come to use food as a tool to really just invite others into my space. Can you tell me about some of the foods that signal it's a summer celebration? What are the foods that you see on the table and you know it's time to throw down, it's time to party? <laughs> this would be kind of like a weekly occurrence at my house growing up. Um, but we had carne asadas just about every weekend, you know? It, it's basically like our form of the barbecue. And it really just means getting together and making whatever. And so for me, having that that smell of smoke outside coming into the house and just penetrating, you know, all over the place. Um, and, and so carne asada, um, ensalada de nopales, which is like a cactus salad, um, frijoles de la olla, um, and red rice is really uh, the big symbol of what a uh, celebration is to me. Um, nowadays, now that I am in the kitchen and I get to host my own parties, for me, a rack of ribs and some really great carne asada is, is what feels like a celebration now. Can you kind of explain a carne asada for people who aren't familiar or haven't grown up with one? <laughs> <laughs> a, a carne asada really just uh, is a gathering of your family and your friends. You know, there's going to be carne asada on the grill. There's going to be codornices, which are the uh, game hands. Um, there's going to be micheladas, um, agua fresca. There's going to be frijoles puercos. Really, it's just... It, it, it's taken on the name of like just like a family gathering. Wait, wait, wait. So game hens? What are y'all doing with game hens? <laughs> it's one of the things that my mom really loves. They're called codornices, and they're basically um, a little bit bigger than like a quail. Um, and my dad typically throws it into like a citrus cilantro sort of marinade and then throws it on the grill alongside with the carne asada. Okay, I need to come over immediately <laughs> <laughs> for, for research purposes, of course. Yeah, for sure. The invitation is always open. You're speaking to my soul here. You're speaking to my stomach, too. So previously you mentioned the aguas frescas. Can you kind of talk us through the process of making one? Yeah, of course. One of my favorites to make is a really simple lime cucumber agua fresca. It's one of those things that I like to make because it's refreshing. It's got a very neutral flavor. Um, and so it's also going to pair really well with like some of the heavier dishes that we might have, whether it be like frijoles puercos or if someone has like a really spicy salsa that they brought, you know, that, that, that tart, um, refreshing agua fresca is really going to offset that. Um, but then it also works really great as a cocktail by just adding a shot or two of vodka or tequila, like I was saying. It just meets everybody's needs. It meets yeah. everyone where they're at. It's such a smart strategy. Yeah, and I think that when it comes to like hosting these celebrations, it's really all about 
doing the most, but then doing the minimum because you don't want to be walking around doing a lot of work the day of. That makes so much sense because so often we end up kind of hiding out in the kitchen at some of our yeah. events where it's just like, dang, I had a whole party and I didn't even get to go. <laughs> so I love your approach. Another thing that you have mentioned while you were explaining this is just that each family member sometimes has their own specialty or that thing that they make. Do you have a dish that is your kind of staple or that people constantly request from you? Yeah, my if you were to ask my mom and my dad, they're going to say my michelada ribs. And I have a couple of different riffs off of those ribs, but... Um, I I was living at an apartment at the time when I developed this recipe and I had just moved down from um, college. So I was living in SoCal again and um, my parents were inviting me uh, out to these like barbecue joints just about every other week. And I hated it because they were spending <laughs> so much money. And if you've ever been to like a chain barbecue joint, the meat is always going to be like really dry. Everything's going to be really expensive. And so I just I hated going and I told them I was like, you know what? I'm going to develop um, a whole barbecue meal for you guys so that we can enjoy this at home and not have to spend like over two to three hundred dollars for really mediocre ribs. And so I ended up settling on braising ribs for about two to three hours in a michelada mix, which really um, includes like clamato, salsa maggi, uh, which is like similar to soy sauce, um, beer. And then I had like my own little steak seasoning mix that I would add to it. Um, and so I would let the let, I would let the ribs braise for about two to three hours in the oven, and by the time they were done, they were literally falling off the bone because they were just so tender and so juicy and so flavorful. And um, because I didn't always have access to a grill at the apartments, I felt like this method was just so much easier for everybody and so much more accessible. And so after they're done braising, um, you can either finish them in um, the broiler or in a grill. You know, you just brush on the barbecue sauce and let them caramelize in the broiler for two to three minutes, do another layer. Um, or if, you know, if you are grilling at home, you can just toss them on the barbecue for two to three minutes and you don't have to worry about that meat being so dry. And so I developed this whole meal. Um, I have my own recipe for like these little uh, cornbread masa muffins. Um, and of course, this like deviled egg salad. Um, I love a really good um, egg salad. And so I had to throw my own spin in there. And so it's become like one of my go-tos and like one of my staples for whenever, if I hear that they're coming over, I got to get my ribs and that's what we're going to do. <laughs> so I have to know, do you have a favorite summer holiday? Um, It's going to be the 4th of July. Um because it's my mom's birthday. It's like the perfect date and holiday for me to just be grilling and taking care of everything. Um, now that I'm older, I 
I like having that responsibility of being the one who cooks because my mom has put in the years. And so now it's my turn to step in and and take things over. And she enjoys that and I enjoy it. And it's a lot of fun. Esteban, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thanks for proving that you are easily son of the year. (laughs) Have a great summer party. (laughs) Thanks again, Jesse. I had such a wonderful time. Esteban Castillo is the author of two books, Chicano Eats and his newest, Chicano Bakes. You can find his recipe for those amazing Michelada ribs at theonerecipe.org and on Instagram at the.one.recipe. Coming up, I'm heading home. That's right, I'm talking about Houston. We're talking to my city's newest restaurant critic, Bao Wong, about strategies for takeout party food. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is the One Recipe Summer Celebration from APM. I'm Jesse Sparks, host of The One Recipe, the Splendid Table's sister podcast, and I'm here with a summer celebration special from APM. You know, I'm a Houstonian. Growing up, I've always loved the long, lazy summer days in this city where you can't help but find a place to get outside, set up a barbecue, or crash a cookout or party on a restaurant's patio. And with Houston's booming dining scene, featuring more than 12,000 restaurants, it's so much fun to mix up dining out and good old dining outdoors. So who better to turn to than Houston's newest food columnist, Bao Wong? He's a bona fide food writer and editor whose explorations of the city helped me fall in love with it all over again. Here he is. Bao, hello. Thank you for coming on the show. Happy Hi. summer. No, I'm so excited. I feel like I have been watching your Instagram stories and following your coverage. You know, you are the Houston Chronicle's kind of newest restaurant columnist. What is kind of your strategy for doing fun summer takeout? You know, it, you know, it gets really hot here in Houston. So <laughs> the the window's pretty small. There's different pockets, but there's just so much to do here. And obviously, there's so much good food here, too, that... You know, I, I haven't even lived here for a year yet, and, you know, I feel like I've barely scratched the surface. Um, but, you know, just the diversity of, you know, cuisines that you can find here in Houston is so amazing. You can basically find anything food-wise you want to in Houston. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Also, with Houston being such a great restaurant city, there are so many opportunities for great takeout-focused picnics. Um, so what are some of your kind of takeout go-tos? You know, so uh, Bel Air is what... What a lot of uh, Houstonians call Asia Town or Chinatown, uh, there you know where there's so many Vietnamese restaurants, some of the best Vietnamese restaurants in the country. Like Bun Mi is really good uh, for a picnic. You know, it it travels well. You can cut it up, but you know because the bread is so like crusty and um, it's just easy to to kind of divide up. But like, Kang's is uh, one restaurant that I love in Bella just because like they have um, they have probably about like. Like about five to eight different types of bun meat uh, on any given day, and if someone's vegetarian, you know, there's a vegetarian option. It's one uh, with a lot of cold cuts or or meatballs. So I love Kang's. Um, a personal favorite for me, uh, the restaurant's been around for a while. I don't know exactly how long, but you know, it's a family-owned spot. Uh, Ting Tan. They have uh, bun gung, which are uh, steamed uh, kind of rice rolls. They're filled with ground pork. Woodier mushroom. It's topped with, uh, you know, like fried shallot. Um, and they sell these big uh, 
pla- you know, kind of um, styrofoam trays for takeout. You know, that dish can be served at room temperature. The fish sauce or the nook jam is on the side. Mm-hmm. That's so easy in a picnic setting. Um, I would totally recommend that. Um, and it's also brilliant because it's it's all hand food and you can find them all over the country. You know, these are these are still dishes that even if you can't make it to this specific restaurant in Houston, people can find in a ton of places. Definitely. You know, like if you want a summer roll, you know, it's easy to make a summer roll mm-hmm. at home if you're not going to a restaurant to pick it up. And that also travels really well. Can you just quickly explain what a summer roll is and what makes it so enticing? You have a piece of rice paper that you soak in some water and then you fill it up with noodles, a lot of herbs. I think that's the secret. You know, if you you want, you know, a lot of mint, basil, cilantro, um, and then a protein of some sort, usually, you know, either barbecue pork, uh, you know, some poached shrimp, roll it up, you know, usually have some sort of like a peanut uh, dipping sauce uh, on the side. And, you know, if you go, if you walk into a uh, Vietnamese cafe or, shop that sells summer rolls, you know, you often see them just kind of wrapped in uh, a tray and they'll be sitting out because it, you know, they, you don't want the, you don't want them in the fridge because the rice uh, paper starts getting uh, dried out. So it's great for a picnic. Yeah. So if anything, that makes it like a stellar contender. Exactly. What are some of the things that your friends have loved of the foods that you've brought or maybe the strategies that you've done? I will admit that uh, I can be a little bit of a control freak when it comes to planning a picnic. <laughs> you know, the, the type okay. A personality side of me, like, comes through. <laughs> and so I planned this picnic with two other friends. And yes, they thought it was very extra, but I brought uh, about a dozen oysters to shuck. Um, there was a special <laughs> at Whole Foods. And I think it was, like, two for one. You know, so it wasn't, yeah. you know, it's. So it's a little bit of a splurge, but, you know, I, I, I'm very comfortable shucking oysters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, I just want to be a little bit extra here. Like, right, why right. not? You brought your full crown, the velvet robe. <laughs> yeah. No, it worked out. And I think, like, everyone really kind of remembered that. It was the best $12 I probably spent <laughs> for a picnic. So let's talk about wine. What do you like to drink? So Lambrusco is something that I would highly recommend. You know, not a lot of people think about it. It's this like fizzy Italian red wine, you know, come from the northern part of Italy. It pairs really well with, uh, you know, prosciutto or any kind of other kind of like, uh, you know, charcuterie board that you put together that would have some like fattier cuts of meat. And it really kind of cuts through that. Uh, You know, it's, you know, it's refreshing. It's usually very juicy, has a lot of like those red fruit uh, flavors that uh, make it really pleasurable for a for, you know, a, you know, day drinking. And it's a great recommendation because there are a lot of different variations, too. A lot of people have kind of written off Lambrusco for being hyper sweet or, or tasting too much just like juice. But there are styles that aren't as sweet. There are styles that are drier. Because people overlook Lambrusco a little bit, the price point tends to be a little better. And you can get these really nice bottles, um, you know, for half the price of, like, you know, that... Fancy champagne. <laughs> Bao, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. No, this has been so fun. And I think we should do a picnic this summer. Absolutely. Bao Ong is a restaurant columnist at the Houston Chronicle. So I'm going to let my next guest introduce himself. Hey, this is Chris Williams. I'm a, I'm a chef. I'm a restaurateur, uh, 
I have a nonprofit, a dad of two that are here, 13 and 15, Tracy and Dalen, and uh, soon to be father of our first baby girl, Alessandra Josephine Williams. And I'm terrified. <laughs> As if welcoming a new member to the family wasn't enough, Chris is also the chef and owner of Lucille's, a classic Houston restaurant serving Southern staples in the museum district. He also founded Lucille's 1913, a nonprofit that gives meals to underserved communities in Houston. And all of that work brought him to his most recent project, a new book. Piece of cake, right? We met up on the patio of Lucille's, where I asked him where the idea for that book, which he's writing with Kayla Stewart, came from. So I lived in Europe for four years and been fortunate enough to do work for the State Department for about seven years. <clears throat> so that's had me everywhere from Ukraine to Kazakhstan to, to Albania and all over the Eastern Bloc. Yeah. Because the point of the embassies is just to try to extend and showcase American values and see where there's common ground. And what I found was so wonderful about those experiences that I could be in Slovenia and... Uh, you know, the only prejudice that I'm dealing with or stereotypes are ones on Americans on a whole. So they see me come in, knives, ready to go cook or teach or give a panel. And the joke's always, so you're going to show us how to make chili? Huh? Or, you know, you're going to show us burgers or is today hot dog day? God. You know what I mean? But, yeah. but, but it ends there. And, and I can manage that. You know, that's great. That's simple. You that's, know, yeah, no, actually, we're not doing that today. Let me show you what we're going to do. And then, uh, you know, and and respect is won by the merit of your work, mm -hmm. uh, by the by what you produce and also your work ethic. Um, <clears throat> and so it's a lot easier than the barriers that we have to face in this country. Right. Absolutely. It's a completely different conversation, um, which I welcomed and can easily, you know, make friends out of that because it's strictly about how we operate and live in kitchens and that's its own language it's one language you don't have to know i don't have to know albanian to, to be able to cook with you yeah um so that informed this cookbook i wanted to create um a, a different way of understanding our shared values our shared experiences as restaurateurs and just as humans of what comes through the table the stories that are told about different cultures, like the, the real story is on the table. It's in those dishes, right? And to me, it's kind of like a passport to understanding and having a better experience than when you're traveling, right? And yeah. that you can, you can do that anywhere in the world. So that's the premise of this book. Um, and Kayla is brilliant. She is brilliant. She's from Houston. She grew up in the neighborhood right next to mine. And uh, we started talking about this stuff and the conversation naturally went in that direction and um, and we knew that we were going to write a book um, together immediately and we decided that the best place to start is start with the stories of, of home of Texas because I'm 180 years deep in Texas wow. like my family is right 180 years of entrepreneurs um, right but the, 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 the food history here is so rich and it's so it's such a unifying story that we wanted to get we really wanted to showcase that because it's not just about African-American contributions to the Texas culinary landscape. Mm -hmm. It's also has to do with the, the contributions that come from um, the, 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 the relationships between 
our Mexican brothers and sisters, our native brothers and sisters, and how these relationships built up this own style of cuisine. Hell yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, so that's what we want to showcase with that. So I know that it's still really early in the process, but mm-hmm. do you have a working title? Is there a name that's we do. been sticking with you? Um, we're thinking the colors of Texas. Oh. Um, because that's what we're speaking to. We're showcasing all the different colors that have, that have come together to really create what most people don't know is the underlying theme of the food in Texas. When you think mm-hmm. about what the, you know, the Slovenians or the Ukrainians or Albanians or the British, when they joke and they say, well, so what is it going to be chili? Yeah, yeah, it is chili. Like ch- chili, like that, that's Texas. And yeah. that, that, that doesn't come from one person or one culture. That comes from a, a marriage of cultures using a, a, you know, a bunch of different techniques and a bunch of different ingredients, but we've came together and agreed on this. People don't really know what Texas is. Um, so it's a good place for us to explore and have a conversation about all of it. Aside from the work stuff, mm. now I got to know what you do to celebrate. You know, you have so many wins that you've been racking up, both from uh, James Beard nominations for Best Restaurateur, mm. Eater Awards. You have articles coming out left and right. What are the dishes that you turn to and that you make when you're celebrating with family and just looking at the fruit of your labors? In the summer, one of my favorite things and one of the best things, and actually this truly happened, it started, this tradition started in the summer. Okay. It's one of the most lovely experiences that I've had in the past, I don't know, 20 years. This is when I was able to convert my parents from just mother, father, child relationship into friends. It happened. Oh. Yeah, it happened two summers ago when I was trying to buy a house. I uh, didn't realize how long the closing process took. And I, ended, I gave my apartment to a, staff, a team member who was in need, let them take over my duplex. I moved in with the parents thinking I'd be there for a couple of weeks. It turned <laughs> yep. into like four months. And so we got to know each other. And we started this beautiful tradition of cooking. Well, them watching and drinking wine and coaching and critiquing. <laughs> and I'm cooking and playing music. And we're just talking and getting to know each other. It's just, it was... It, it, it was special. It really... <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> what were some of the things that it's y'all crazy. would cook together? Um, yeah, so the go-to, and the one they still want to this day, was this... It's this fish on the half shell. My dad used to be a great fisherman. I mean, in his hobby, you know. But loves the harvest from the Gulf. So it's this red fish on the half shell... Uh, which I'd make this beautiful little, uh, you know, 10 minute marinade because I'm still a restaurant guy. So I'm built for speed. I'm not trying to take six hours to prepare a meal. I'm trying to do this in 40 minutes tops <laughs> right. and get back to eating and drinking wine and talking, you know, talking with the family. So it's a, a simple marinade made with uh, smoked paprika, tons of fresh garlic, um, fresh parsley, which I do still believe is one of the most underutilized ingredients out there. And, uh, uh, lemon juice, good olive oil, right? Salt and pepper, just simple. Uh, and so marinate the fish with that for about 10 minutes. And I used to serve it up because I'm always trying to force nutrition on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, just lightly sauteed <coughs> greens. It could be a mix of kale, collard greens, mustard greens, turnip greens, dandelion greens. Sauteed again, simple olive oil, loads of garlic, and... Uh, their favorite pairing for it, and I'm not a rice guy, but they love rice and they get what they want. 
is like coconut <laughs> coconut rice. So it's a beautiful fish on the half shell, mm-hmm. sautéed greens of some sort, and then coconut rice is the the thing they they insist on. And I would like to say in the coconut rice, you can buy some stuff that's really delicious. It only takes sixty seconds in a microwave. And wow. it, it, yeah, and I, I can't cook rice. I, I, it's not my strong suit. And hey, there there are yeah. reasons why there are rice cookers, people, and tools. For people who don't know, can you kind of explain what it means when you say that you're doing this on the half shell? Oh yeah, sure. Um, the half shell is where you take the fish and you simply um, fillet it. But you don't remove the skin, you don't remove the scales, so whole fish. And so when you grill on the half shell, that the skin and the scales, and you want a, fi- a fish that has tough skin, tough scales. Redfish is perfect. You can do it with salmon. It's a little bit more softer, but it protects it from the flame and essentially bastes the fish from the bottom up. Oh. So it's really hard to overcook it when you do this. So it's, and again, when I'm at home or just period in life, even in restaurants now, I like everything as simple as possible. I try to make things idiot proof, even though sometimes I can be a super idiot. But it's, <laughs> so you, you, you put that thing on the fire, over the coals, you cover it up, you give it seven minutes, test it with your finger, do the doneness test, and you're ready to go. I love that you have these new traditions kind of popping up. Mm-hmm. Are there any other summer party hallmarks or summer entertaining things that you need to have at the cookout that you're absolutely looking for? There's one perfect thing that my mother makes. And my mom, for 40 years, she always acted like she could not cook at all, so she'd never cook. We never go, we never ask her for food. And when she do, we're like, okay, mom, you're making baked chicken. Turns out she's a wonderful cook. She's just pulling this talent out later on in life. And so when we do these summer parties... Or these dinners, if she's making anything, yeah. she's always making Lucille's seven-layered salad. It's good old mayonnaise. Gotta love it. It's spinach. It is frozen green peas. Mm-hmm. You want to keep them frozen. The texture. <laughs> it's bacon. Crispy bacon. It is boiled eggs. Uh, and it's and it's mixed cheddar cheese. I think that was seven things. I think I think I, I don't know. Listen, yeah. there's a reason why I do words and not numbers. Yeah. So. And maybe that was five. Maybe there's love and passion. The, the, that's six love, and seven. Yeah. joy, peace, patience, yeah. whatever yeah. else A little selfishness because if, if you're the only one eating it. Yeah. 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 But uh, I love <laughs> yeah. that so much. Yeah. Thank you for making time. This has been so much fun to just hang out on your patio. No, thanks for coming, man. This is a lot of fun. Um, shared a lot of uh, special memories here. Chris Williams is the chef and owner of Lucille's, the founder of the nonprofit Lucille's 1913, and the author of a forthcoming book. You can find his recipe for redfish on the half shell on Instagram at the.one.recipe and at theonerecipe.org. Well, that's our show for the week. Celebrate those summer holidays. The season flies by, so let's treasure it. Grab people you love and go make a little summer magic this year. This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Alex Simpson, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. Special thanks to Michael Haggerty for our Houston recordings and Ray Shillings at Radio Lounge. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Joanne Griffith, and Alex Schaffer. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic.